Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. I'm here today with John Springford and Simon Tilford. John is our director of research here at the CER and Simon is our deputy director. And we're here to talk about the Brexit mantra that has been repeated several times by Theresa May over the last couple of months, that no deal is better than a bad deal in Brexit negotiations. And without wanting to skip ahead to your conclusions, I think it's fair to say that both John and Simon are skeptical of that statement. Um, first, maybe, Simon, how big really is the chance that there will be no deal between the EU and the UK? How could that happen? I think the chances of no deal are still slim, but far from impossible. Uh, it, 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 could, it could come about. For example, if uh, Britain and the EU fail to reach an agreement on uh, Britain's Brexit bill or over the rights of their respective citizens, or maybe Britain uh, will bulk at uh, a transition deal that provides for the continued jurisdiction of the ECJ or freedom of movement. So I think it's probably only uh, it's it's a slim chance, but it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility that that Britain could crash out without any deal in place. Now, if that were to happen, if talks were to break down, if no transition agreement was to be arranged, if the UK would run out of time today, what would be the first thing that would happen tomorrow, John? Uh, the first thing that would happen would be that uh, tariffs were applied on Britain's exports to the EU. Um, and this is a particularly big problem in agriculture because tariffs are very high, there's a lot of protectionism, um, uh, the EU's agricultural market is, is pretty highly protected. So those farmers that export to the EU would have big tariffs slapped on their produce and they would be uncompetitive, so we'd see big falls in agricultural exports to the EU. But manufacturers would also see some big problems. Although tariffs are lower in, those, uh, in manufactured goods than they are in agriculture, they're still enough to make a lot of UK manufacturers uncompetitive. Um, if you think about uh, tariffs in cars, they're 10%. The car industry is fiercely competitive, um, low margin industry. So there could be big problems there. Um, and in car components, they're only 3%, but that's even more competitive possibly than uh, the sale of final manufactured cars. So there could be some big problems. Um, and I would expect Britain's exports to the EU to decline pretty significantly and fairly quickly. There are also some big problems with rules of origin, which are complicated and I quite often hate explaining, but rules of origin essentially determine the origin of a product. So if you have a widget and a lot of the components in that widget came from outside Europe, um, then Europe says, you have to tell us how much of the products came from outside Europe. And Rules of origin would be applied, which would mean huge amounts of bureaucracy and paperwork, which for a lot of small exporters who now have frictionless access to the single market would be just too much, and they might stop exporting altogether. Simon, John's talked about tariff barriers now, but with the UK outside of the EU's legal framework, what would be some of the non-tariff barriers that Britain would face? Well, pharmaceuticals and chemicals, British pharmaceuticals and chemicals, two of the countries. Uh, most successful export sectors would no longer uh, have uh, accreditation for the EU market, so they would no longer be free to sell into the single market. Now, over time, it will probably be possible to negotiate such accreditation on the assumption that the UK agreed to abide by EU rules governing uh, the chemical industry 
and, and the pharmaceutical sector. But there would be an immediate hit to the sales of those products because even if the EU is forthcoming, and it probably would be uh, on those two issues, uh, it will take time. So there would be a, a lot of uncertainty uh, for those two industries. Aviation is another one which would uh, suffer from a lot of uncertainty. British airlines, British-based airlines, and uh, this is Britain has the biggest uh, civil aviation industry in Europe by a long way. They would no longer have the right to fly to destinations in the EU, let alone to uh, third sort of country destinations. So, for example, at the moment, British-based airlines such as EasyJet fly from hubs in France to Germany. Over time, the EU would probably or would agree to allow British airlines to fly to EU destinations. That would be in the interest of the EU. Uh, they have plenty of people coming to the UK. Uh, and it would make sense uh, to, to permit British airlines to, to fly in and out of the EU. Um, but it's highly unlikely that uh, Britain would manage to negotiate access to the European Open Skies Agreement, enabling British airlines to fly from other EU destinations. So th that would require a number of British airlines to, to, to relocate out of the UK in order to comply, if they wanted to continue flying, say, between other EU countries. Well, all right. So both of you are painting a pretty bleak picture for the UK, but surely the EU has its own interest in preventing this kind of abrupt end to the relationship. John Simon has talked about the EU possibly being able to mitigate the fallout from British airlines no longer flying to all destinations. What would be some other things that the EU might have an interest in? I think a really big issue um, and one that's had quite a lot of debate is about um, financial stability. Um, and um, Mark Carney, the governor of Bank of England, for example, has been saying, well, you know, they don't want the EU shouldn't cut off the city because um, there are some big problems in terms of financial stability because uh, Eurozone banks won't have access to, you know, these deep liquid um, capital markets that the city of London provides. Um, and I think that That argument has some merit, um, but the problem with it is that the EU27 would hold, or in fact just the EU then, because the UK would have left, the EU would hold the cards and they could say, okay, let's say we're worried about financial stability because we don't have as easy access to clearing houses in London. Okay, fine, we'll just extend um, equivalents to clearing houses in London for, say, a year. Um, in order to deal with those concerns. But in a year's time, we want those clearinghouses to, to have relocated. And also a lot of derivatives um, uh, trading done in euros is done in the US, in New York, which already has equivalents um, under EU rules. So if they wanted to, a lot of Eurozone banks could go to New York rather than London. So I think that you can make too much of that argument um, and that the EU has some cards that it can play in order to minimize the damage. Another card that I've heard both of you talk about might be trade barriers as well, right? There are some UK products that the EU has an interest in accessing even after Brexit. I mean, the EU will, will be in a position to pick and choose. So they'll be in a position to do deals with the UK, allow UK access, uh, where they have a strong interest in that. So they have a strong interest in allowing the, the sale of British pharmaceuticals uh, across the EU market. They have much less of an incentive or much less of an interest in, in, in allowing for the, uh, uh, the, act, uh, the for allowing, say, open trade in, in agricultural produce, for example. 
similarly, they have very little incentive uh, to uh, give Britain unrestricted access in most manufacturing sectors because they can source what they buy off Britain from other people. What is lost in the British debate over much of this is that uh, Britain will find it much harder to redirect its trade away from the EU than the EU uh, will find it to switch trade away from Britain because they can just boost their trade with each other or they can import more from countries that they've signed free trade agreements with, i.e. countries where they're not going to face uh, any tariffs. Um, so but the problem with Britain is that we won't have any free trade agreements in place. So we will end up paying a lot more for our imports uh, while uh, demand for our exports will fall sharply. At the end of the day then, John, what would be the effects overall on the British economy? Of um, there being a sudden no deal. I mean, the, 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 the first thing to say w w would be that we would uh, almost certainly have a significant further depreciation of sterling. Um, and that this would mean that we would have a sudden uptick in inflation, much as we've had recently, but possibly much larger. Um, this would then have an, a, a big impact on consumption. Um, and, you know, when you have a hit to demand coming from consumption, then you have uh, losses of output. And um, there would probably be a, a, a recession and possibly one which is fairly severe. Um, there would be enormous, as Simon pointed to, um, there would be enormous uh, legal uncertainty about the ability of the UK export of UK exporters to be able to sell their wares to their largest uh, export partner, the EU. Um, and quite often, when uh, historically, when there's been a big devaluation of sterling because of some economic shock, then exports have provided some kind of offsetting impact. Um, and if you had, you know, huge uncertainty um, and a sudden erection of trade barriers with your largest trade partner, that offsetting impact would not be there. So you're looking at something which is going to be enormously disruptive. Um, and as a result of that, I, I agree with Simon that I think ultimately it will be very difficult for Theresa May to walk away from the talks um, because it would be very hard for her to be able to survive um, an economic a crisis such as that um, and this is why ultimately her rhetoric I think is so um, uh, is so silly um, she's kind of saying that okay EU we want a divorce we want to sleep in the same bed um, we don't want to pay any rent um, and if you say no I'm going to punch myself in the face <laughs> John Springford Simon Tilford thanks for being on the podcast